0: Welcome to the Friday edition of Unexpected Points, the football analytics podcast. I'm going to review Thursday night football, Bucks, Eagles, Bad Beats galore in this one. And I'm also going to go through and preview the rest of the week six action. But for now, let's get into it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Like I said, we are in the post here of Bucks Phillies. Oh, Phillies. Bucks uh, Eagles. And what I will say here is that I'm taking this one here. Um, this was a line that moved from seven to six and a half, back to seven. But at six and a half, I mentioned on the tweet bot, and I also... Mentioned in the comments of the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points that I was going to make an official best bet play for this week of the Buccaneers, uh, minus six and a half. So yeah. No good on that one. So we're taking an L there. But I will say that I think we're taking a bit of a process W on this one. Now I know. Um, At least the last time I checked, process W's are not accepted as a form of payment <laughs> in most establishments here. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what you're getting from the uh, process W here, but we can feel good about it. And I think it's good that, you know, we dig into the numbers and I'm going to have all the numbers from this game, how we should really feel about what happened uh, versus what actually did happen before I get into the rest of the week six action. And before I do any of that, I want to thank you out there, uh, listeners who listened on Tuesday and then made a subscription to PFF using the promo code for this podcast. This shows the people at PFF that you guys are engaged listeners and lovers of the podcast. 25% off. This is going to go on for a while. It's going to go on for at least another month here. 25% off any PFF subscription, promo code UNEXPECTED. That's promo code UNEXPECTED, 25% off any PFF subscription. And I think in particular... What we're going to talk about here. I may even try to do some screen sh- uh, sharing on some of this, but I'm going to go through a lot of the the betting action for this weekend. And we have our PFF Green Line tool. So this is with an elite subscription here, so the little higher level subscription here. We have the Green Line, which goes through all the different information here. I mean, not only is it going to give you an idea of our um, predicted line versus the actual line, it gives you the cover probabilities across the board. It'll have information on cash versus ticket splits that are coming in in different sports books, how the line has moved throughout the week. But it also has a very convenient display of our rankings for offense and defense, our grading on all the different injury reports here. So it gives you a detailed injury reports and the grading on those players. And then it gives you detailed information on the offenses and defenses and quarterbacks for, for there. So that's what I'll highlight there is that we have the NFL and NCAA Line in addition to other tools that I'm using as a part of this podcast. So let's get into Bucks Philly. Like I said, I logged this in at six and a half and the actual score was six. So, yeah, this is not it's not a bad beat Hall of Fame, but the way that things went down and I'll discuss earlier is, you know, it it gets into that that sort of category that how unlikely it was and how much better this Bucks team really was as part of this game. So the expected score, my adjusted score based upon my game grades, again, just to refresh the process here, it's focusing a little bit more on success rate and success rate is calculated as each play. We're looking at the expected points added. And just to go to another further layer of explanation here, expected points added is a way of taking a snapshot at a particular time, looking at the probability of whether the offense scores next, the defense scores next, figuring out the expected points on a particular play. So if you're right on the goal line, your expected points are, you know, five points because you're close to scoring. If you're at third and 15 on your own 10 yard line, the expected points are actually negative because it's more likely than not, you will not convert. You'll punt it away and the other team scores first. So anyway, so we can look at this to figure out on a play by play basis, how much you're adding by taking a new snapshot each time, how many points you're adding. So. A success rate is whether or not a play has positive points or not, and then we have the overall efficiency, which is just taking the expected points added and dividing it by the number of plays. So how are those two, two dynamics working with each other? Well, if a team is steadily moving the ball but not getting those big outlier type of uh, high-value big plays, their success rate is going to be higher relative to their, their EPA and then vice versa if we're talking about big plays or big mistakes. So, in this particular game, the expected score based upon all that, your actual score, 28 22, expected score, 27 to 19. So, it was a game that the Bucks really were about eight points better, maybe even slightly better than that. And that would have been, of course, a cover. So, I am going to take a process W on this. Again, I know process Ws are like uh, horseshoes and hand grenades, sort of thing. Like, close doesn't really count, right? Um, but. It's good to know when you're reviewing these things what's going on going forward. I mean, I think anyone who watched the game would agree with that, just to go over some of the high level numbers here and why this seemed like this was actually a bigger victory than the actual final points here. Uh, the success rate overall offensively for the Bucks was fifty-one percent. So they were getting positive VPA on fifty-one percent of their of their plays versus only thirty-eight percent for um for the Eagles. And, you know, the Eagles were kind of completely reliant upon these big plays and defensive pass interference, right? They only had a 30% success rate on dropbacks, and they were passing about 80% of the time in this game. Uh, they had a negative EPA per play overall. So their overall efficiency, when you look at the po- expected points added, was negative. So that shows you they did not have a good offensive game, um, despite the fact that they ended up putting up 22 points. We, like, again, my score say it was more like under 20. So two of the top four plays they had were defensive pass interference, and they got an additional estimation of about 7.5 points gained um, and 7.5 points lost for the Bucks with these plays. Now, I think if you looked at those particular plays, I do discount them, and I, I know you, you might think that's inappropriate because they were obvious defensive pass interference calls. But the thing is, you know, even if the defensive pass interference didn't happen, it's not 100% likely that the catch would be made, right? Like, in order to be close enough to to interfere, you're probably close enough to affect the pass. Uh, You have to make sure the receiver catches it. You have to make sure it's not bobbled or dropped in some sort of way. So these are not 100% catched passes, no matter what the defensive pass interference is. So that's why they're discounted somewhat. Now, the one thing that... The one adjustment that goes towards the Eagles here and why even at eight points, it might seem like it wasn't even that close as an eight point game, uh, according to my adjusted scores, is the fact that they missed, the Eagles missed a very makeable 46 yard field goal. So that does come into it and it closes the gap somewhat in those expected scores that I have here. Uh, Now, just another idea of how lopsided it was, the Buccaneers passed on 58% of plays and that was still 8% over expectation. So they were only at a 50-50 expected rate because they had a lead throughout the game. I mean, once you get into kind of the midway through the first quarter, through the rest of the game, they had a pretty substantial lead here. Now, I think the problem, and this is what bettors who bet on the Bucs should probably be upset about, but I think generally this is could possibly be an issue for them going forward for the Bucs, is a lack of urgency that they had offensively once they were up by a score even, Um, but really once they were up by two scores. but even when they were up by a score, there was a lack of urgency. They were running the ball a lot on first down. Uh, They did not go for it multiple times where they could have. Uh, When it was, when they were up 14-7, there was a play where they had fourth and one. It was more like fourth and one and a half at their own 42-yard line. I think they saw how poorly the Eagles were moving the ball because even when the Eagles scored a touchdown on that first drive, there was a huge DPI there. There was a conversion on third down, I believe, to score the touchdown. It was, it was herky jerky at best offensively for the Eagles. They were not a smooth offensive operation like it was for the Bucs. So I think that played into their decision making. So they gave up, you know, two, three percent win probability, not going for it on that fourth and one. They also had give up another 1% by not going on fourth and four from their own 45. Now that's something where most coaches aren't going to do it. So I kind of understand that um so those two things played into it and as far as the lack of urgency i mean i kind of get it when you look at what the eagles did right they had that drive that had a few of these longer weird plays to score the first touchdown then if you look after that first touchdown right the eagles drives went 3 and out 3 and out interception 3 and out 3 and out 3 and out i mean real disgusting offensive play and lack of Moving the ball at all in that circumstance for the eagles um, you know it was a little bit ironic and actually i don't know if it was ironic i don't even know if I know what ironic means anymore. this might be like ironic in the Atlantis Moore set uh, definition of the word that my best bet here having the bucks minus six and a half was killed by the Eagles going for two down eight in that game. Uh, I enjoyed the confusion, not confusion but the disdain on the part of Troy Aikman on making this choice. Who knows, maybe Ben Baldwin will be jumping on that too because his his bot, believe it or not, does not give a strong uh go for two signal in this case. But I'll tell you why it's the it's the right move here. So and this is something that I wrote about. And I'm saying it's ironic because I wrote about this years ago on my own blog, and that became a piece that got shared a lot when these decisions first started happening. It was, in fact, the Eagles, I believe, were the first team to do it back in 2018? No, no. 20, yeah, 2018. Um, we we're, were one of the first teams to do this, where teams had passed up this opportunity for the longest time. They were always kicking the extra point to cut it to seven, to cut it to you know, a, a touchdown and an extra point game. So the reason that you go for two here, I have a a flow chart describing this. So it may be a little bit difficult to describe on the podcast, but I'm going to go over it in broad thematic issues. What it's doing is it's giving you the ability to, in reality, what you're doing is you're sorting the points in a way, the outcomes of different point outcomes in a way that gives you a higher chance of winning the game. Meaning you can... Your losses here, the way you're sorting the the points, your losses in this circumstance, if the game plays out the way you're hoping it'll play out, which is you score a touchdown and then you score another touchdown, right? Um, When it plays out that way, your loss in this circumstance, and that is missing both two-point conversions, so missing the first two-point conversion, missing again, your loss in that circumstance is, is losing by two points. But losing by two points or losing by one point, it doesn't matter, right? So you're kind of stuffing an extra point in that loss category, but not having it happen any more frequently. What you do give yourself the chance to do is use the knowledge on that first for it opportunity. If you make it on the first for opportunity, which happens roughly 50% of the time, then on the second one, you kick the extra point and you win the game. So that gives you a 50% win probability of winning the game right there, right? Whereas if you kick the extra point and you kick another extra point, then you go to overtime and it's basically a 50-50 game or worse if you're playing the Bucks, okay? So you're giving yourself that 50% there. But then if you miss the first time and you go for it again and you hit, then you can also go to overtime. And then if you go to overtime there, you can possibly win. So then you have that extra sliver of win probability. So that's how you get yourself over the expected win probability that you would normally have just going for the two extra points. So it was, you know, I was killed. Like I, I joked uh, on Twitter where I put the thing here and I said it was kind of like, uh-huh, uh, you know, Larry Davis situation. Like, yes, it's good, but it's bad. Like, it's great that the team is going for this, the right analytical move, but By making it, you killed my Bucs minus six and a half. Um, So some more interesting stuff about this game. The real, one of the biggest matchups is going to be the interior defensive line for the Eagles. Uh, Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, who's starting to pick things up here. How are they going to perform? And could they bring pressure on Brady, who's now playing in this offense, right? Where they're stretching the field more as part of the Bucs. Well, you know what the Bucs did is, They didn't run that offense as as much as they did in the past. Brady's a dot in this game, his average depth of target was 5.6 yards versus going into this game on the season. It was almost 10 yards, and it was close to that amount last season, too, which is higher than what he had done in the past. So they brought things down in this game to avoid that interior pressure. And interior pressure has always been the thing that people talk about with Brady more than anything else, right? Because he can maneuver within the pocket pretty well to avoid the edge pressure, but he's not so great. And most immobile quarterbacks are not so great at avoiding that interior pressure. So Brady's time to throw was only 2.2 seconds in this one. This is Ben Roethlisberger-esque as far as getting rid of the ball as quickly as possible and avoiding all kinds of of touches. Now, he was not sacked. He was only hit once. So I think that's how Brady was so effective. And that's how they ran this high uh, success rate passing attack where they continued to to get little chunk gains over and over and over again and move down the field almost effortlessly, especially in the in the first half. Um the one other thing I'll mention about this, which uh which I thought was at least somewhat interesting, is the other side for Jalen Hurts. I think despite the fact that they came back and they covered and it was somewhat close, and they might have, you know, they came within a play or two, and that personal foul at the end, which didn't really have that big of an effect, the taunting call. Um, just to explain why they didn't have a big effect, people were saying, well, if if they didn't call the taunting, the Bucks would have been in second and eight, right? So the next drive, after they got the taunting call, they ran the ball, picked up zero yards, and they were in second 10, and they were able to convert from second and 10, move the ball down the field, and then run out the rest of the clock. So even if they didn't get that taunting call, theoretically, if the game played out the same exact way that it did with the taunting call, then... They would have also ran out the clock eventually. It just would have been from 15 yards further out than it was. Um, but the, so the thing with Jalen Hurts here is it was an ugly game. Like I said, 30% success rate on dropbacks. What does this mean for his future? What does this mean for the offense? Does this mean they're going to continue to pass it above expectation as they did in this game? And I know it's the Bucks defense, so everyone passes above expectation, but they've been doing that in prior games too. Are they going to try to shift around that offense a bit? They got a little bit going with Miles Sanders at the end of that game on that last touchdown drive. So I think this is a little bit of a referendum on Hertz because remember this year, they have you know multiple first round picks and they could have three first round picks if Carson Wentz gets that 75% snap rate. So it's really gonna be an interesting decision in a year where there's not a lot of quarterback talent available in the draft. Could they be in the Russell Wilson market? Could they be in the Aaron Rodgers market? Could they be in the Deshaun Watson market? which, you know, they've been rumored to be in the Deshaun Watson market. It sounds like Deshaun Watson would rather go to Miami. And, you know, my opinion with Deshaun Watson, everything that's going on there is don't get into that market. But whatever, that's, you know, teams are going to do what they have to do. And we can't ignore the speculation of what may actually end up happening. So we will see going forward uh, what happens with both of these teams. I think it was a convincing win for the Bucs. But my only reservation is make sure you're pressing that advantage when you have it. Bucks going forward, okay? Uh, you're probably the best team in the NFL. Make sure you push through and go ahead and get that buy uh, for the NFC. I think that's going to be huge for them going forward. Okay, first game on the week six weekend schedule is, I say schedule in honor of our uh, my British listeners who may or may not be existent. Uh, we have the Miami Dolphins at the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. But you know, Jacksonville, it's weird. They are, they're kind of like a de facto home team in these games because they've been there so often. I mean, it seems like they've been there 15 times. They've actually been to London seven times, but that's still a lot more than any other team there. Uh, I think they're always going to London, right? Every single year now. And uh, Miami is a three-point favorite in this one. It's a 47 total by my model. I have this at three and a half or four points. So I'm going to officially have this as no play, but this is a decent lean on the Dolphins. Now, the assumptions here, Tua Tungvaluwa is going to play. Uh, Devontae Parker has not been practicing, so from an injury standpoint, that's something to keep in mind there, Uh, although he may come back on a Friday practice today before this comes out. And the reason that the Dolphins look good in this calculation is that they have had a very tough schedule. When you look at our information, and again, this is information you can get with an elite subscription, 25% off elite subscription, promo code unexpected for this podcast, uh, information you can get for our NFL power rankings. We also have as part of that our you know, year to date schedule, strength of schedule versus the remaining strength of schedule for all the different teams. The Dolphins have the ultimate flip of schedule going from what happened the first five weeks to going for the rest of the season. They were first in strength of schedule, first meaning bad, meaning you had to play against the best teams, right? Bad for the team the first five weeks of the season, having to face Josh Allen, having to face you know other quarterbacks that they had to face so far this year, Tom Brady, right? Um, And it's gonna flip and it's gonna go all the way to 32nd because that division outside of the Bills is really bad. Right, uh, you get to play the Jets a couple of times. You, you you get to have those opportunities, right? Uh, you get to play the Patriots again, where they that's their one win so far this season, and the Patriots haven't been looking so hot. So they're going to flip all the way to having the weakest schedule going forward. So that's something to keep in mind when we're thinking about the Dolphins and how bad they've looked. Is that yeah, they only have one win, but they've had a really really tough schedule so far this year. The other thing is, if you think about their defense in particular, this is a defense that went from. Having a lot of turnovers last year, I've talked about this before, and that gave them the impression of being better than they actually were. This year, it's been the exact opposite. If you look at their success rate, again, the success rate is just on a play-by-play basis, whether or not they're giving up EPA. So their success rate versus their efficiency, this kind of gives you an idea of how unlucky or lucky you may be as far as giving up big plays, which are more random, right? Uh, Or big penalties, there or turnovers, too. Turnovers is a big part of this, or third down convergence. All the different stuff falls into what can make a difference between the success rate and the uh, EPA per play. So, if you look at the Dolphins, they're 14th, they're ranked 14th in success rate against the run, they're ranked 19th in success rate against the pass. So, not a great defense, but a middling defense against what has been a difficult schedule, right? Now, if you look at the actual EPA number, so the actual efficiency, so the real results that have come through, once you factor in you know how many turnovers there have been, whether your lack of turnovers you're getting defensively, whether you factor in how well teams have converted these high-leverage third downs, you factor in penalties, all that stuff, they're 29th versus the run and 28th versus the pass or when a team dropped back. So they're near the bottom of the league. So it's really been a middling defense against a tough schedule that's been burned by a lot of big plays and conversions and penalties and lack of turnovers, right? That shows that huge difference. So they're probably more like a league average or better defense, but they've played like a bottom of the NFL defense. And especially when Tampa Bay stomped all over them, right? So Tampa Bay stomped all over them. And even from a success rate perspective, they were in the 90th percentile for how good they were a success rate. But if you look at the success rate against all the other teams that they've faced defensively, All of them, no one's got over the 40th percentile in success rate. So they've really held those teams down um, and just been felled by big plays and by a couple of games where they only lost by a couple of points. Uh, If you look at, like, conversions versus expectations, So right now they've given up on defense nine more late down conversions than you would have expected based upon down and distance, right? That's a huge number. It's the second worst number in the NFL to the Washington football team that we'll talk about later. And they've also been bad converting. So maybe they'll get a little bit better converting with Tua in here. So all these things factor, in. I just spent all this time talking about Miami, (laughs) but you know if it was two and a half, I would be on this minus three. It's a little bit close for me because of the fact that to a similar degree, although not as big of a degree, Jacksonville falls into the same category. They've given up some tremendously big turnovers offensive uh, uh, on offense, which have which have really hurt them. Whether it's uh, there's been a fumble return after a reception for a touchdown, pick sixes, and so on. And at the same point in time, defensively, they have not been able to generate as much as you would have liked. So they're both teams that are maybe a little bit undervalued. But I think the Dolphins are extremely undervalued. And that plays into why they're a three-point favor in this game. Maybe it could be a little bit more. It probably would have, you would have thought it would have been a little bit more going into the season. Um, but the, the team has definitely got some issues in struggling offensively. I don't think two is going to fix all of those offensive issues right now. But if you're going to lean a certain way and you're interested in this game, I wouldn't be against Miami minus three. It's just, I would want it at two and a half myself. Okay, next game, Chargers at... Baltimore Ravens. This is one of the marquee matchups of the weekend. I'm saying Baltimore two and a half. Now, by the time that I say this, maybe it'll be three again. It was three at one and went down to two and a half. I'm booking this at two and a half because it's three and a half, four in my model. It's kind of similar to that Miami game. Except For this one, you're getting that two and a half. So I'm going to mark this down. As a best bet for the week, and that is the Baltimore Ravens minus two and a half. This is one of these games that doesn't feel right, it feels like a contrarian play. And in fact, if you go and you look at our PFF Green Line tools available to you 25% off with promo code uh, unexpected, if you go into our, our Green Line tools to really look at this one, you'll see that, yeah. The Chargers are the favored team. When we look at the cash and ticket splits here, and I know I don't buy too much into this stuff, but it's just it's good for context to have this sort of thing, right? The cash and ticket splits here. The Chargers are getting about 70% of the cash and 80% of the tickets as far as the spread. And if you look at the money line, the Chargers, again, getting about 75, 80%. So they're definitely the favored team here, but we have the Ravens as being, like I said, four points better. Than the Chargers, so why is that? How could that be the case? Uh, when, when um, Justin Herbert is a darling of the NFL, right? And you know, Baltimore's coming off of this game with a little bit less rest too. I should mention that because that's important, and it's also it is factored in to this calculation here is the fact that they're coming off a of Monday Night Football, which lowers then them down a little bit. Okay, um, so why is that? Well, I've talked a lot about about the Chargers that no one has had better luck on late downs than they have and just by far this is they're just destroying anyone else they're nine for nine converting first downs with their offense i'm not counting i'm counting converting fourth downs excuse me with their offense i'm not counting the punter one um and their defense has just not been good from a success rate standpoint especially against the run and what's i think that's a huge thing for this matchup here right is that the ravens weirdly have been this past team, right? They're passing above expectation. We've never seen that before. Uh, Lamar Jackson is not even really running the ball himself that much. We've never seen that before. They are passing the ball down the field with great accuracy. And that's something that Mar- Lamar Jackson showed somewhat in 2019, but just to a much, much higher degree and higher volume here this year. But The Chargers defense is especially poor against the run. So can the Ravens offense get this run game going? I think that's really gonna be interesting. I don't want them to try too hard if things are initially unsuccessful because it's been really bad, whether it's because of the blocking scheme, whether it's because of the fact that they have the the 2015 All-Stars at running back. But this is something they should try to press their advantage a little bit there. And as far as throwing the ball, you know, Sammy Watkins looks like he's probably gonna be out for this game, but Rashad Bateman's gonna come back probably on a limited basis. I can't wait to see Rashad Bateman. He was a guy who was, I think he was third in my receiver prospect model this year behind uh, Jamar Chase, who had a super elite score, behind Devontae Smith, who had a pretty elite score, and then Bateman was next. He was ahead of Waddle. He was ahead of all these other guys, right? So I'm really excited to see him in this game, even if it's in a limited capacity, right? Um, One thing to watch out for is Lamar did have a DNP yesterday for illness, so we'll see what happens with practice today. Uh, I might not book this until we know Lamar is definitely going to play because you never know with COVID and all that stuff out there what could what could potentially happen. Um, if you look at Justin Herbert, which is a pretty wild stat here, when I talked about Lamar Jackson not running that much this year, Justin Herbert has gained more expected points, right? He's added more expected points on his scrambles and design runs this year than Lamar Jackson has. That shows you how Lamar Jackson is not performing as you would have expected so far this year in the way that he's doing things. But again, it's brought him into that MVP conversation, which I think he definitely belongs. And his production, both of them, both the productions of the offenses have a have a glean, have a a a wrapping of unsustainability. The Chargers on late downs and the Ravens doing things through the passing game down the field that they have never done with this much consistency or accuracy. So, really interesting matchup. The numbers say lean towards Baltimore, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to add that one to our bad beat loss of the Buccaneers. Okay, before we get on to the next game here on the schedule, let's talk about DraftKings. DraftKings is a perfect opportunity for you to play some for entertainment purposes only best bets here from this podcast. So another week of the season and another big shot to win at DraftKings. Bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. One single point. Doesn't sound that hard. Hasn't happened since 1943. So I think you're looking pretty good there. And if the sports book is not available in your state, get into this, some DFS action. Get a subscription from PFF. Find out about uh, all of our great DFS content there, including showdown contests, which I write those. And someone just sent me a little notice that they, they banked one last night. Uh, based upon help with from my content. So congratulations to that, gentlemen. Uh, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot in a million dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 on any game and win $100 in free bets. That's promo code PFF. Official sports betting partner, DraftKings. Official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, next on the schedule. Minnesota at Carolina. This is the Vikings favored by one point, which seems a little bit interesting. People are not buying the Carolina uh, hype, even though after losing that game that they should have won last week against the Eagles, it's got a 46 total, so it's got a pretty low total, which I think the defenses will come to play here. It's roughly even in in the uh, in my model, and of course, when you're getting around, you know, between the threes on here, it doesn't really matter. So this is I'm basically in line with what they have here, uh, slightly, ever so slightly, as slightly as you could be leaning towards Carolina here. Now the the word on McCaffrey. And I know running backs don't matter, but receiving running backs do kind of matter. And I'm really interested in McCaffrey. I've mentioned this before on here. He had 11 first down conversions to lead the team his first two weeks. And then if you look at the last two weeks, uh, Chuba Hubbard has two, right? That kind of shows you the difference in how these guys are preparing and how I think they're helping Sam Darnold avoid mistakes by having that safety, that outlet that he knows he could just turn to and will be open and doesn't necessarily have to press through reads and make the quick decisions on those types of plays. Okay, so he was said he was 50-50 earlier this week by rule, and then he didn't practice on Thursday, which I don't know if it's a down official downgrade or not, but something to monitor and, and important for this game if you feel like putting something on Carolina, which I think is the only way really to go in this game. Uh, big mistakes have really killed the Panthers' offense in recent games. Now, if you look at this, they're 7th in success rate and 20th in efficiency in the passing game. So these big interceptions from Darnold, right? If you look at weeks one through three, the expected points lost, right? The, if you take the actual interceptions and you try to figure out on a point value basis how much they lost, Darnold lost six points in total the first three weeks. Now he's lost 23 points the last two weeks, right? So we're talking about two points a game. And now in the last two weeks, it's 12 and a half points a game. I mean, a huge difference, huge, huge difference as far as how he's been performing there. And that's what's really killed them. So can he avoid those mistakes here? It's kind of like flipping a coin with him because there were signs that he's a mistake prone guy in those first games, but they didn't end up happening. And in these last games, kind of everything that went wrong that could have gone wrong. So somewhere in between is where Darnold uh, really belongs. Both these defenses have been really strong, especially strong against the pass. Uh, Carolina has the second ranked defense against uh, when opponents are dropping back. Minnesota is sixth, so we have that going on here. It might be who can get the running game going here. Minnesota has been really bad recently in the running game. They probably have Dalvin Cook back for this game. I think he's practicing in full, so not that it matters that much with Alexander Madison there, but that's something to think about. And I do think there's an element of Kirk Cousins' performance that's a little bit unsustainable that I want to talk about. I mean, he's been grading well and he's been performing well from a efficiency standpoint the last couple of years. Now he's taken it to another level this year. And I wanted to dive in to try to figure out, okay, what are the, what are the reasons that he's, he's on this another level there? And it's really how he, in contrast to Darnold, has kept the mistake numbers low. And even when he's made mistakes, so he's it's not that he hasn't thrown any interceptions or he hasn't taken any sacks. He's actually taken nine sacks and thrown two interceptions this year. I mean, two interceptions not a lot, but it's not nothing, right? But the value of those plays, when you look at it, they're happening in lower leverage situations because one of his two interceptions was like a 50-yard pass down the field, so it didn't end up hurt, hurting him that much because the field position switched there. And then a lot of their sacks have been on third and hopeless, I'll call it, you know, third and 12-plus yards where, yeah, you're losing a few yards, but you probably weren't going to convert anyway. So for that reason... His EPA on sacks this year is negative 13. So he's lost 13 points on these nine sacks. That's pretty good to only lose 13 points on nine sacks. Sacks are typically at least a two-point loss per sack, right? So this is less than one and a half per sack. Um, Whereas last year, this is so he's he's losing about two and a half EPA per game with sacks. Last year, he was losing seven, eight in, in prior season. Sorry, last year and the year before. He was losing more like seven, eight points per game in sacks. So if that gets back into that area, and remember, Carolina has the number one defense in the NFL as far as generating pressure. Now, they weren't able to do that that well against the Cowboys, who were running the ball well and getting the ball out early, but they have been really, really good at generating pressure. So if they can confuse the offensive front, the offensive line for, and the blocking scheme for the Vikings, this could be a little bit of regression time for Cousins to take more sacks and to lose more on that. And then also for, for, like I said, for interceptions, if he throws an interception due to this pressure, he's normally not a great, he's normally good, not great performer under pressure. Uh, he performs better when they're doing the play action, things like that. If they can get him in those long, down, and distant situations, provide some pressure to him, you might get more costly interceptions here also for Cousins. So all that stuff leaning towards the Panthers a bit here, although, according to my numbers, a little too close to call. Okay, next is Packers at your Chicago Bears. It is five points the Packers are favored by. In my model, it's about three, four points. You know, I I would not go out of your way to say you're going to look at the Bears here, but that would be a very slight lean here. Um, Khalil Mack was not practicing on Wednesday. I didn't get an update for Thursday. So that's something obviously to monitor because the Packers' offensive line has got a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, starting from the beginning of the season when they didn't have David Bakhtiari and then other guys have been in and out there. So it's something to think about. And Rodgers has been very poor under pressure this year because he's taken a lot of sacks whenever he's been pressured. Uh, although some games he has been pressured. Damian Williams is out. He's on the COVID list. You know, Khalil Herbert will be interesting to watch, but doesn't matter that much so far. And like I said, the Packers offensive line. So this is going to be the Packers offensive line versus the Bears pass rush is the matchup here. The Packers offensive line is eighth in our... Uh, pass blocking grade so far this year. So they've done well with somewhat of a patchwork offensive line. Will it hold up for this game or not? That's what we will see. And on the Bears side of the ball, this is really going to be about can the Bears continue to run the ball well on the Packers defense? The Green Bay rush defense is 28th in success rate, so not good. Whereas the rushing attack for the Bears is six in success rate. And it's really been key to letting Justin Fields play within a rhythm, a tempo, and a volume that he's comfortable with they've been way way under expectation as far as their pass rate they've been way under fifty percent the last couple of games with how often they're passing, which is an anomaly in today's NFL. so they're going to want to continue to do that, and they do have a good matchup to do that going forward. so the another thing to think about Green Bay is they're four and one, but you know they haven't looked good. They actually have a negative 11 point in points differential right they're four and one, negative eleven points. they won two games by A combined four points, I think, so far this year. Um, And they've had the 25th easiest schedule, according to our power rankings based strength of schedule calculator. Um, So, you know, depending on how they perform in this game, I've been sounding a semi-alarm, not an alarm, but maybe like a a slight alarm, uh, a muted alarm on the Packers so far this year, based on what's happened. This is going to be another prove it sort of game for them. And the Bears have a path. They have a path here. Be able to run the ball against a weak Green Bay, run defense, make sure Khalil Mack's healthy and get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. That's their path here, playing at home as a five-point underdog. Next is the Bengals at Lions. Bengals, three and a half point favorite. My model has a more like four or five, but three and a half is just a tough, tough number. So no pick here. Um, if you wanted to lean Bengals, you can, but you'd really want that to be three or, or or you know two and a half would be excellent, of course. Now, the Bengals, they're three and two. Uh, we have their power ranking, though, as being basically an average team. They've had the 26th strength of schedule so far this year, and they had the six going forward. So this particular game against the Lions is not going to be too difficult, but especially after that, that strength of schedule is going to move up even higher They have all these division games they're going to have to play against the Browns and against the Ravens. It's going to be some tough sledding for them going forward and against a, you know, somewhat frisky, maybe Steelers team. I don't really have that much to say about the Lions right here other than, uh, you know, MCDC Motor City. Dan Campbell has them playing hard. I appreciate the fact that they came through for a cover last week for me, but they didn't really play well in that game at all. Um, you know, they've lost their own five, but they have had a couple of games where they only lost by a couple of points. So they've come closer than what you may think so far this year. For them, you know, it's gonna be try getting some sort of ground game established and it's gonna be, can you get pressure on Joe Burrow? Because Burrow has not been playing under pressure, but they have not been able to get pressure on anyone, especially with Romeo Okwara now out. Um, not a lot to say about this game. Interesting game to watch. Cincinnati really needs to establish themselves. They can really establish themselves by getting to four and two here and winning this game. Um, obviously, if they don't win this game, then we're in semi-panic mode for the Bengals uh, with the season potentially getting away from them this year. Okay, Texans at Colts. Colts, 10-point favorite. My number is more nine-ish. You know, no pick here. And it's nine-ish also, again, Colts being discounted for the fact that they're coming off of uh, Monday Night Football. Maybe a lean towards the Texans, but, you know, Let's not press our luck here. We got our Texans at plus nine last week, and that hit very, very easily. um The Colts, you know, they need to get their cornerbacks healthy, and so this will be interesting to see what happens here. Xavier Rhodes was out with a concussion. Rocky Sin is not played since week three. They had a couple of UDFA's who really shouldn't be in the top three cornerbacks, probably for any team that were playing major, major snaps in the second half there against the Ravens when they were slicing and dicing them, giving up 300 yards to the. To Lamar Jackson in the second half. And, you know, Darius Leonard also missed Wednesday and Thursday practices. So keep an eye on the injury report. That's going to be an interesting thing to really look at. Again, green line uh, here at PFF. Go there. You can really get great injury in- information from us. You know, Wentz has struggled under pressure, but then the Texans had the second lowest pressure rate in the NFL. And Wentz, again, there were some signs of being able to move the ball down the field and hopefully that'll continue for them going forward. This is a game where you kind of have a Colts team that is in some ways underrated, some ways overrated and then you have a Texans team where you never know what you're going to get here. So this is I think a good one to stay away from because I don't have a clear sign on it that there is a lean in any particular direction. Okay, we have the Rams of Los Angeles at the New York Giants. I have the Rams -10 here as my number uh I don't know if that's changed or not. Ten and a half would be pretty sweet. But my model is more like seven, eight. So we're logging it. We're logging this one. Picks that nobody wants. And this is the New York Giants plus 10. Now, my assumption is built into this is the fact that Daniel Jones is going to play. So of course, I think we'd want to get some confirmation on that. And I think you're still going to get this at 10 um, if he's going to play. Maybe if it moves down to nine and a half, then I'll take it off the board. Um, so Shepard... And Slayton are assumed to play. Galladay out. Uh, Saquon Barkley, doubtful, is probably going to be out. So the Giants so far this year, really interesting, because you're facing against this Rams offense, which everyone's talking about, you know, the number one offense in the, in the league in efficiency, according to my numbers at EPA per play. But the Giants have had a top 15-ish sort of offense this year, which is weird. Daniel Jones, according to our passing grades, believe it or not, has a higher grade than, according to our overall grades, I should say our offensive grades has a higher grade than Matthew Stafford this year, 86 versus 79. Um, Even though the Rams are top two in efficiency in their total offense. So the Rams defense, and I think this is the, are they going to get right here against the, uh, the giants and also um, Andrew Thomas, whether or not he's playing at left tackle is going to be pretty key for this game too. Uh, So the Rams defense has been 20th after being first last season, as far as their efficiency. So a huge flip up there. And interesting, the Rams have not really been able to run that well. They're about twentieth in efficiency, and they've been trying to run and trying to establish that at least when they weren't playing the Bucks. So I think they'll try to do that more in this game. Um, There's a little bit of travel here for the Rams, which offsets some of the game that gain that they have in my model by playing last Thursday and getting that additional time and additional rest. Um, But I'm still leaning strong enough to make an official pick for. The Giants plus 10. Okay, let's talk Western and Southern. The Unexpected Points Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at Western and Southern. I'm sorry, to get started at Western Southern. No, and westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, back to the games. Next is Chiefs at Washington football team. I have six and a half here. It's been fluctuating between six and a half and seven. Uh, the total is a big one here, 55 and a half. My model says between six and a half and seven and a half. So no, no play, no play on this one. Um, keep an eye on Tyreek Hill. He hasn't practiced. Kelsey's having some issues. Uh, on the other side, Curtis Samuel's likely out. Doesn't really matter that much, obviously. You know, the Chiefs could really use Chris Jones back in this game. And they've had no pressure. Uh, they really couldn't couldn't get enough pressure against Josh Allen, which ended up to a lot of coverage mistakes on the back end. And I detailed that. In steep detail on Tuesday when I was discussing this. So, um, CEH also out, but you know, when we come to running backs, don't matter. I'm pretty confident on whether or not the mentor, Daryl Williams, can carry the load there with Jarek McKinnon versus CEH. I'm pretty confident that will happen. Now, again, I mentioned before this, and this is one of the reasons why I like the football team a couple of weeks ago as a pick against Atlanta, which was a miracle that that actually ended up hitting, is the fact that they have had the worst. Late down luck on defense. Now it will turn around eventually, but will it turn around against the Kansas City offense? Right. This defense, the, the Washington defense has been giving up all kinds of third downs, high conversion rates on third downs and fourth downs. I don't know if this is the place for it to turn around here because if they can't get pressure and they have not been able to generate enough pressure with the front, uh Patrick Mahomes, this could be very much a, you know, I would say get right game, but they just had one bad game. They were very, very right the week before against Philadelphia also. And I don't really factor anything in as far as the news stories that are going on with the football team. Although I do want to do a mini, maybe I'll even hit a mini uh, stick to sports here on this, on this, uh, everything that's been going on with the the good old uh, Washington football team. And of course this is sports, so it's not really stick to sports, but it's kind of, it's talking about this most recent, I want to talk about this most recent article that came out on the football team And I don't want to go into all the details about it, but again, it's Bruce Allen. Everyone loves to uh, pile on Bruce Allen. And he is talking to this guy, Pash, who is a head attorney with the NFL, and there's a lot of emails being released here. You know, I'm a little bit dubious of the reaction to this one, and I don't want to overstep, I mean, I'll just say up front, just to be full disclosure, I mean, you know, whatever, I'm a left-leaning guy, right? I'm not a not like a a socialist uh, Bernie bro or something, but. I'm a left-leaning guy, so I'm not coming from this in the context of like I want to defend anyone who is on the on the right uh, on the right side of this, or you know who is probably the Re- Republicans. They even talk about Republican versus Democrat in this article. But I just want to say that I think, as I would say, as a society, but it's more like especially on social social media, we're coming into this thing where I think it's appropriate to weigh our. How credulous we are incredulous, how much we assume good faith versus bad faith in people based upon their record, but we've gone to the point now where the assumptions which should come more like we have neutral assumptions about everyone, you don't have to assume good faith with everyone, right? Um but we've gotten so far towards bad faith in this particular what we've seen in this article that things that are on their face not really that inflammatory or damaging when it comes to this culture war sort of stuff. And I think that's what a lot of people are focusing on here. If you want to look at the actual violations, like were was there any violation of derelict of duty or favoritism shown by this NFL official towards Bruce Allen and at the time, the Redskins, now the Washington football team, it's really hard to point to anything. He wiped off a $15,000 fine. That doesn't really seem like a big deal. He said, you know, I know you won't condone this sort of thing when it came to the cheerleader scandal, which was a horrendous scandal. And obviously he did condone that sort of thing. But, you know, they brought in independent investigators to look at this. Uh, I saw the reporter who wrote this New York Times piece describe this as this official in the NFL turning a blind eye to the toxic behavior. There's no evidence of him turning a blind eye to toxic behavior. There was only evidence of him giving a word of encouragement to someone he's friendly with. There's no evidence that it actually affected his ruling or the way that he approached this case. Now, if you want to assume that it affects things, that's what everyone's doing. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to take this, these five words. Again, this is like a 2,000-word article where you're getting maybe 50 words of actual quotes, and you're getting 1,950 words of interpretation and some opinion snuck in there of actual quotes. If you want to assume bad things, yeah, that's right. But you, you can't say things like they said in this tweet copy, you would never make it in the article, that they were turning a blind eye to a toxic workplace when there's no evidence of that in this article. And then, of course, there was a culture war stuff that came out there about them saying, you know, they're hiring too many Democrats. And why are they hiring more Republicans? You have the Rooney rule. Maybe you should have the Lincoln rule. Again, if you want to assume bad faith, you want to assume this is some sort of like coded language, racial language, because the woman was black who was being hired. But she was she was actually someone who worked for a Democratic campaign. If you want to assume that, Okay, but I don't think it's being fair to assume that. I don't think we would uh, we would assume that on the way forward. He's just literally saying that he wants more Republicans in he would he would he thinks it's skewing towards Democrats. Now he could be wrong. He could be delusional. But you know, people can have delusional thoughts that are not like racist or something. Nothing derogatory was said here, as opposed to the Gruden emails, where there's lots of derogatory, clearly derogatory stuff. Nothing derogatory here. The one thing that's maybe you could quibble with was the statement about. Uh, he's doing some sort of Latino pride song and he said, well, I'm sure they're not going to be that happy when Trump builds the wall. Now, again, that's a quote in there. So was he being derogatory? Mm, No, I mean, he wasn't saying anything derogatory. He was more like, you you could see actually even a liberal person saying this about it. They're just saying, because if Trump's talking about building this wall of course which was a farce anyway the entire time maybe you're talking about it again it's one sentence we don't have the context of what was said before we don't have the context of behind we don't know if this is ha 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 we don't know anything this is just it's not derogatory in a way that people are really jumping all over it because we're just assuming the absolute worst about about this person and about cuz they're friendly with Bruce Allen so again you don't have to give them good faith you don't have to believe everything they're saying you don't have to you know toe to the NFL line and wear your NFL hat like Rob Lowe but let's have some perspective here and what's going on. And let's not turn this, like everything gets turned into this culture war, where if you want to write an article about impropriety on the part of the NFL, let's find some actual impropriety on the part of the NFL, not a few snippets that can be interpreted with worse faith, not even bad faith, with worse faith, at worst faith as meaning something. Okay, that's my rant on the Washington football team. Second article, John Gruden, cancellation, I'm all for it. Um, afternoon games. So we have, this is probably one of the best games of the week. It's a game that everyone should be super excited about. This is Cardinals at Cleveland Browns. It's a very strange game because you would think that the Cardinals might be overvalued by the markets in this game because they're five and zero. but yet when you dig into the numbers, they have a lot of unsustainable stuff going on with them. And the Browns on the other hand, who are three and two, right? They actually have a lot of stuff going on underneath where they could easily be four and one, maybe not five and zero, oh, but they could easily be four and one this year. You would think that, but then you look and the Browns are three point favorites at home. Now you could say home field advantage, but I think we've seen over the course of the last few years that home field advantage is very, very small at this point. So the markets are not fooled by the, by potentially overvaluing the Cardinals in this one. Uh, the model that I have has it closer to being an even, even matchup. So maybe leaning somewhat towards the Cardinals, but you know what? I can make the case for anything in this game. Um, one of the reasons I'd be hesitant as far as the Cardinals are concerned is that Chandler Jones looks like he's not going to play because he had a, he's been put on the COVID-19 list. I don't think there's enough time, even if he is vaccinated to get multiple negative tests and to get back on the field, possible outbreak there. There've been a couple of other positives within the staff. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday with an illness. I think they would have to classify that as COVID if it was COVID. So I don't think it's necessarily COVID, but maybe he can test, you know, maybe he can test negative multiple times and then test positive. Who knows? So things to watch there, especially because you need to get pressure on Baker Mayfield. It's been awful with pressure. Great without pressure. Now, the matchup that I am imploring that we end up seeing here is somehow we have Jeremiah Wusukoramora koromora as a spy-ish sort of thing on Kyler Murray. Oh, I would love to watch this because Cor- uh, Owusu-Koromora, J-O-K, he, the guy just looks like he's shot out of a cannon. He's playing extremely well. I talked about that in previous podcasts. He's one of the highest rated linebackers in the NFL. He looks like he's shot out of a cannon at all times. So I would love to see him be shot out of a cannon and go after Kyler. Play him in this role where he is, spying and then opportunistically blitzing if he sees something. I feel like he better than no not any defender in the NFL, but kind of up there as far as almost any defender in the NFL has the sudden movement and the speed to potentially disrupt what Kyler's doing. Now Kyler is so shifty that it's it's you you might just be a lot of uh koromara going flying by him at its super top speed. But man, I mean Uzuki Karamara looks like he has a jetpack strapped on when he's out there and he's attacking. So I'm just loving and I'm hoping we're going to see that sort of matchup. Um, that we'll see that spy spy-ish sort of role for him. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, so if Joe Woods is listening, you know, put this in the game plan. Uh, now I'm going to talk about Beckham because he's in the news with the fact that he could probably be gone next season. Now I think he could have been gone this offseason before this season if it wasn't for the fact that he was injured. And I don't know how you're going to find a trade partner for him. He has about 15 million left on his contract per year for the next two years. So not the most expensive contract, but is it something people are willing to trade for? Non guaranteed, at least. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see for that. But he could just be cut. Could just be outright cut by the Browns here. So so far this year, he has nine catches on 19 targets, so 47% catch rate. You know Baker's completing passes at 65% plus. So obviously he's bringing that down. He's just really been used as a low percentage deep threat he has a 14 yard average depth of target so far this year and what's happened to him if you look at the progression of these games he's been back falls into line with what i have heard about him i'm gonna quote my sources here hashtag sources that i have uh inside of the browns building anonymous sources you know high up but not too high up uh who had told me that and this is not Recently, this is like back a a couple of combines ago when the last time we actually had a uh, NFL combine and told me that the thought with OBJ in the building was that he just he just needs to be targeted constantly. He becomes disengaged if he's not targeted a lot. If you look at what happened with the Giants, he was just being targeted left and right. That happened his first game back where he had an explosion. I think he had the second hundred yard game that he's had on the Browns. It's only the second hundred yard game he's had since he's been with the Browns, which he had when he came back a couple of weeks ago. And then he's disappeared the last couple of games. And it's not just disappearing. If you look at the last game, when we talk about being disengaged. There's some pretty strong evidence of that. Number one, uh, he dropped a fourth and two, a uh, you know, a pretty big fourth and two when you consider the fact that the the Browns ended up losing that game by one score in the end and were kind of unstoppable offensively to that point. So he dropped it like easy, easy catch that he dropped there when he's not being targeted that much. And if you even think you go back to the, the Vikings game, a lot of people were pointing at Baker Mayfield missing him over and over again. Yeah, there was some of that. But on that last play where he's doing this wheel route and Baker throws it to him and yeah, it was short. Yeah, it was a little bit outside, but I also, if I was going to apportion blame on this, and again, this is from a novice's perspective or a semi-novice's perspective, but I've talked to actual coaches about this, uh, high school level coaches, but coaches about this and their opinion on this. This might be more like 70-30 Beckham's fault on that play. I mean, he's running this wheel route. He doesn't even turn around until he's like 35 yards downfield. It's like if he had his head around a little bit earlier, he easily could have adjusted to catch that. And Baker had to get rid of that a little bit early. And if anything, he was just being conservative. He doesn't have to hit him in stride on that play because he's so wide open if Beckham is actually turned around. Why is it Beckham turning around earlier? I do think there is a little bit of a head case, lack of engagement on his part. So it would not surprise me at all going forward. I mean, it's just been a little bit weird for the Browns offense and the receivers generally this year because with Landry out, now we have David Njoku and Kareem Hunter, the leading receivers, you know, more receivers than any wide receiver on, on this team. Um, You know, I talked about some of these weird things that are going on underneath the hood, which could make the Browns undervalued. And they kind of defensively in particular, you know, they have great success rates and then lower efficiency. So they've been hurt by these big plays. They were hurt by a ton of fourth down conversions last week against the Chargers. They were hurt by big plays against the Chiefs week one. So they're seventh and third when it comes to success rate against the run and success rate against the pass. But their actual efficiency, so how the actual results have been 11th and 20th. They've been so much worse there, whereas it's been the opposite for the Cardinals. The Cardinals' in success rate are 24th and 15th against the uh, run in the past, but their, their actual results have been 11th and 4th. So these are two things that can both reverse in a different direction. Uh, and also, you know, Arizona's had a big turnover advantage so far this year, and a big late down advantage. Those are also things that will regress. But the market has the Browns at minus 3, so nowhere really to go with this one. Okay, before we get to the last few games here, let's talk Manscaped. It's football season. You know what that means. We're hoping to go for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time you join two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0, analytically four times better than the Lawnmower 1.0. This is a fourth generation trimmer, features a cutting edge ceramic blade, skin safe technology. It has a spotlight on there. So, you know, if it's dark, you can use it. If it's raining, sleet, snow, it's waterproof too. Uh, there's no match for the power of the 4.0. Get to 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. manscaped.com, code PFF. All right, the last few games here, last few as we're going deeper into the afternoon. Okay, we got another pick on this one. This is the Raiders at Denver. Denver, three and a half. That goes down to three. Don't touch it. Three and a half, 45 total. So it's a pretty low total. We're expecting a kind of a defensive matchup here, right? But I'm gonna take... Our Las Vegas Raiders at three and a half. Obviously, there's a lot of turmoil going on there. I think if we're going to be true analytical nerds, we have to fade that or assume that it's less turmoil than we actually think. And that, you know, other people will say, oh, there's like a bounce back effect because they normally, teams lose their coach. They play well for one week and then they go downhill. downhill. I'm not buying that either. This is not based upon that. Uh, If you want to talk about that stuff, go ahead. Uh, Not going to be part of me. I have this more like an even matchup, even though it's three and a half to Denver. So that's a big advantage when you're over that key number of three so we're going to take the vegas raiders at three and a half uh like i said you can play this game a bunch of different ways on narrative street but if you want to look purely at the numbers i mean the raiders have had a good defense this year i think that's what it comes down to do you believe this raiders defense right uh they're six as far as getting fast pressures they weren't able to get pressures in the last couple of games and they had kind of a disjointed offensive performance but i'm more willing to think that Derek Carr, with a good grade so far this season, he's been playing well for, for a while now. Yes, Gruden won't be there, but, you know, they can have other people, Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, step in to call plays. Other people are ready to go in these in these situations. Uh, they're spending, they're dedicating their entire lives, 100 plus hours a week to this craft. I think when Gruden falls out, bottom is not going to fall out as far as the offense is concerned here, and they have the ability to get a lot better this year. If you look at their schedule so far this year, the Broncos have had the... Second easiest schedule. The Raiders are right middle of the pack. So again, the Broncos, when they've had any resistance, any pressure from defense, whether it was the Steelers last week, whether it was the Ravens the week before, they kind of fell apart offensively. So, you know, I believe in Bridgewater. I feel like he is a solid mid-tier quarterback, but he's definitely not a better quarterback. And the, the differences in their defenses, I think, is maybe a little bit more narrow than what people think. And that's why giving Denver the three and a half points where they do have a stronger than average home field. So I'm factoring that in there. Stronger than average home field advantage is still too much in a roughly even matchup, according to my numbers. All right, we have Dallas at New England. So the Cowboys at the Patriots, Dallas is three and a half. That's right at my number. No play here. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. The Dallas offense is operating on a high, high level right now. Near the top of success rate, rushing the ball and passing the ball. So if anything, they have the potential to get even better as far as driving that efficiency by converting a little bit more often on late downs by getting a little bit more benefit on penalties um, all those sorts of things they really have a, a good way to go here and the Patriots are a little bit in disarray what they've been trying to do defense offensively is play down run the ball um, and I think this is an interesting thing where some people got in my case about the fact that I'm discounting turnovers too much you know they're important teams stress it well you know no team stresses not fumbling the ball, right? No team stresses that more than the Patriots. And yet this year, they have had some problems, right? They've had some problems with their fumbles so far this year. If you look at what's happened, you know, they lost about 10 EPA, 10 points in fumbles week one. And then the last two weeks, they've lost about six points each of these two weeks you have seen Damian Harris fumble, we've seen Ramondre Stevenson's fumble, we've seen JJ Taylor fumble, you've seen all this stuff, right? So you can't just will no fumbles for your team by harping on it again. So that's why, of course, we discount these sorts of plays here. Uh, I think this be just a fun game really to watch more than anything else. And I think that Dallas offense, man, it's just really, really impressed me. Um, But the one thing that's a downside for Dallas is their defense has been much better in their performance than their underlying success rate in play because of all the turnovers. They have more turnover gain on points than any team in the league. We've seen Trayvon, you know, digs in his defensive player of the year campaign and what he's doing. Will he get another interception? We'll see. Uh, You know, Mac Jones hasn't been horrible turning the ball over, but uh, he definitely could throw something up if they get too far behind in this game. Interesting game to watch. No play for me. Okay. The Seahawks at Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is minus five lowest total of the week, 42 and a half points. My number is more like four, but I'm not going with the Seahawks on this one. I mean, if you want to lean and you want to play with fire, you can go ahead and go for that. Uh, DK Metcalf was downgraded to a do not practice, did not practice on Thursday. So that's something to watch. Russell Wilson had a limited practice for some reason, but obviously he's going to be out for a while. You know, obviously we're assuming Geno Smith is here. The explosion, if you want to call that the offensive, like high end explosion for the Steelers last week against the Broncos. We'll see if it continues. I'm a little bit dubious of it, but the Seahawks defense has clearly been one of the worst, especially against the past so far this year. So that gives Rappas some hope there. They got the run established a little bit. They weren't that effective doing it, but they ran it way more than we've ever seen them before. Um, in the past for Pittsburgh. So I think they're going to want to do that again in this game. And for that reason, it might keep things close, no matter what. Um, but either way, I'm not going to lean any direction on this one. Okay, we're getting to Monday night now. So we've been, we're we we're, we're finishing it off and through. Um, Buffalo at, oh, I forgot that that Seattle game is a Sunday night game. Yikes. Geno Smith in primetime. Uh, okay, so Buffalo at Tennessee, five and a half points for Buffalo for the Bills, are favored 54 total, which is pretty strong. My number is somewhere between five and a half and six, so no play on there. It falls right in line with what it's going here. Julio looks like he's back. AJ Brown is going to be there. It could be a different Titans offense than we've seen where they've been so run heavy these last few weeks, they could, especially against Seattle and other teams where they were down and they just continued to pound, pound, pound the ball. Um... So will we see that this week? I'm not sure because it might not be the strategy against the bills. The bills have been a good defense against the run and the pass and a deep, but it also might not be something you can do against the bills offense. That's going to put up some points, right? Uh, Matt Milano could be back for the bills defense. So a defense that's been great, could he could get that back too. Uh, so the, t- so when we're talking about what the Tennessee offense is going to do, it's not just against the bills. They're going to face the chiefs and the Rams in so the Bills, Chiefs, and Rams in three out of the next four weeks. So I think that'll be really interesting to see with their weapons back, with Julio back, with A.J. Brown back, how they apportion the run and the pass. For those who have Tannehill in fantasy, it's been absolutely deadly. The lack of passing so far for them, I think it could come back the next few weeks. So the if, we, if we're going to rewind back to 2020, you don't want to look too much at what happens in the past, right? But the first cracks in the Bills' armor last season were the game that they lost to the Titans, 42-16. to They were 4-0 going into that game. Josh Allen was playing like an MVP. They had three turnovers versus zero for the Titans. And on the back end, the Titans were just really able to not bring that much pressure, but get enough strategic pressure and then play and really just cover up everything on the back end. And Josh Allen eventually made mistakes when he was forcing things. So it'll be interesting to see if they do that here. Again, I believe it was in Tennessee too. So again, it'll be, it'll be a similar sort of thing. Now, it's, it's a little bit strange for Allen to have this MVP talk this season when he was actually playing a lot better last season, but we're really buying into the record here. And I'll give him credit because, you know, the Bills, they, after playing the Chiefs, they don't got a whole lot going on. And this Tennessee game, they don't got a whole lot going on as far as difficult games to potentially face. This is a really interesting game matchup of two teams that have really easy schedules this year. The Bills had the 30th ranks strength of schedule going into this game, they're 29th coming out of it. So that explains some of their defensive performance, how well they've been. The Titans had the 27th schedule going into this game. And again, they have the 27th schedule going out of it. So really, really easy schedules for both these teams, the two least tested teams in the NFL. Uh, But again, I'm not going to lean either way on this. I think the Bills may be a slight edge here at five and a half, but Tennessee is finally going to seem like going to have a pretty healthy complement of players. And I think the Bills defense in particular could be subject to if they're playing a little bit of a softer defense, they could be subject to not only getting the run game going with Derrick Henry, but some one on one matchups with Julio and Brown, how they're going to match up against both of those guys. You have um, Tredavious White, but what do you do about who you don't have White on? And even if you do have White on someone, sometimes we've seen him have some problems with big physical receivers, and this could be one of those matchups. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in again. uh, Leave reviews, uh, watch it on YouTube and like it on YouTube. And of course, use promo code unexpected at PFF to get a 25% discount. This is the Friday edition. I'll be coming at you back with Tuesday with the wrap up of Monday Night Football and everything that happens in the rest of week six. Thank you so much.